Hello and welcome to the Clustering Insights podcast. I'm your host, Chris Walters, the head of UK Life Sciences at JLL. Today, I'm joined by Harriet Fear, who is the director of Cambridge and and the chair of Cambridge Ahead. Hello, Harriet. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I had a brilliantly easy journey in from Suffolk, so I'm I'm very relaxed and very happy. Thank you for the invite. <laughs> Great. No, pleasure to have you. So naturally, through your roles, we'll, I'm sure, have a bit of a Cambridge focus today, but we'll try and contextualise that in the context of the wider region, the UK and globally. To kick us off, could you give us a bit of a background to yourself and the roles that you've got? Yes, so I won't go back into history, but uh, a bit of context is that I was a diplomat for 21 years with the British Foreign Office. Uh, I then ran a membership organisation, which that's what brought me to Cambridge uh, back in 2009. So I ran One Nucleus for eight years. And for the last five years, I've been working on uh, Cambridge And, which incorporated as a company in February 2020, just before the pandemic, um, and it's the shop window for Cambridge's innovation to the world in a joined up way, uh, so that companies that are seeking to invest in Cambridge can have a seamless story. And uh, I also chair Cambridge Ahead, which is uh, a membership organisation, which uh, has about 51 of the largest Cambridge employers and is looking at the long term sustainable economic growth of Cambridge and actually more broadly into Cambridgeshire. Great, so I suppose on the Cambridge and side, you're engaging quite regularly with the companies who will be looking for space. And on the Cambridge ahead, a lot of those 51, I assume, are actually looking at how they can provide space for these these different companies. Yeah, although actually Cambridge Ahead isn't um, isn't focused specifically on uh, property companies. I mean, we're really proud, obviously, to have property, you know, really high-end property developers and uh, intermediaries like JLL as our members. But the membership is across uh, innovation, technology, health. So we have the likes of AstraZeneca and Arm and uh, the uh, Frontier Developments, you know, gay, big gaming company and others. So, um, yeah, the, 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 the cross-section of membership in Cambridge Ahead is quite broad, but, but pretty much everyone interested in innovation. But absolutely with Cambridge Ahead, that's all about hand-holding large companies to come mm. and physically set up in the greater Cambridge area. Well, perhaps to kick us off, Harriet, let's talk about what some of the unique selling points are for Cambridge as a region itself. And is it possible, if I could ask you to give me a top three? So, can I give a top five, Chris? Is that all right? Course, because that's in, that's in my Your head. absolutely. <laughs> and that's how I always talk to large companies seeking to invest in Cambridge. So, the directors and myself talk about it as um, a, a world-class science foundation. So, if you think across the, the bottom of a chart, you've, you've got to have world-class science. When I was involved with... Um, AstraZeneca coming to Cambridge, Pascal Sorio said that that is the leading reason for yeah. us being in Cambridge. Uh, and then across that, three pillars of equal length, height, breadth and depth. And you'll be really pleased to know the first one is, you know, high quality space. So a number of our science parks and incubators <clears throat> and innovation centres have none of them are especially specialist but they have a particular bent so for example Babraham many of the companies there will be having a focus on antibody-based therapeutics and obviously the Welcome Genome Campus on um, on 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 genomics um, and and data analytics and bioinformatics and that sort of thing so so large-scale investors like that sort of safe place to do risky things because you've got a, a particular cohort of of talent but also of high 
quality space and that serendipity where you can rub shoulders with people mm. working in similar areas. Then the second pillar is talent and skills. Every company that I talk to, that's their top priority. Can you guarantee, Harriet, the long-term talent pipeline in functional genomics or whatever it might be? You know, that's, that's an interesting one. And then the third pillar is really interestingly, obviously about money and about finance. And we've got a very sophisticated system in Cambridge now from early stage uh, financial support, you know, angels and so on, through to much larger organisations. Uh, and also a, a cohort of the ecosystem that doesn't get called out that often, but I always like to call them out, which are the technical and the commercial service providers, really exceptional in the greater Cambridge area. So they're, they're, they're in that third pillar. But then the special sources, I like to call it, um, I hate the word unique, but the idea of an ecosystem being different or actually differentiating itself, which I think is supremely important in this day and age, especially with global uh, interests and, and to an extent global cooperation, but also a level of competition with other high growth cities. What I think is really special about Cambridge, and many do, is across the top of that and what wraps around it are membership organisations and institutions that are very specifically gauged to enabling companies to grow. So it could be One Nucleus, which I used to run for life sciences and healthcare, or it could be CW, Cambridge Wireless for Tech, Cambridge Clean Tech, and so on. And, and that's, you don't get that in every city. And occasionally, Cambridge gets called out for being confusing because it's like, where the heck do I start? Just look at my one pager with the nice pretty diagram on it. And it's that's part of the role of Cambridge and is to handhold those companies through what potentially on paper or, or in reality has looked like a minefield. But actually, once it's described and you say you're the shop window, shoulders come down and people go, that's, that's fantastic because it can't all be about me. It has to be about who do I know that I can plug people and companies and C-level people into. And they don't have to do all the heavy lifting themselves. They don't have to look under stones and think, where do I find the right this or where do I find the right that? I can pull on it all. Makes sense. And you mentioned some of the key things around sort of infrastructure, the availability of talent, skills, etc. Are they perhaps some of the challenges as well that these companies are facing at the moment in order for them to really deliver on their growth prospects and their, and their business plans? Yeah, I mean, it would be mad to say that, you know, space isn't an issue and talent isn't an issue because I think it is for every high growth city. I was talking last week with people in Boston Mass and it's their top headache. <laughs> so I think, you know, where there's success and long-term legacy and long-term future opportunity, there's always going to be uh, the, the possibility of some growing pains and some pinch points. Uh, if you'd asked me this time last year, Chris, or, you know, what, what high-end space, lab space is available in Cambridge, I'd have been really honest, because I always am, and said, there's a real dearth. Yeah. But I knew, thank God, thank goodness, that come spring this year and through to the end of this year, there's some unbelievably exciting opportunities coming through. And I'm not saying that just because I'm sitting in JLL's beautiful offices. It's because it's genuinely true. And I've, I know a lot of the, the, the property people well. And what's really exciting is I get to see quite a lot of the early plans for things that are coming online towards the end of this year and into next year. And they're world class. They're like anything you'd find in San Diego or in, in San Francisco or in, in Boston. So that's really exciting. And on the people side, yeah, I mean, most companies would say they it's hard to find X or Y part of a, a talent pipeline. 
but that's just because innovation is 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 growing exponentially mm. and so there will be competition um for you know the best people in the world but what's fantastic about cambridge is that it has a lovely quality of life which is something that we work on a lot at cambridge ahead that actually it's a compelling offer uh, because it's not just about uh, coming to somewhere to work or to uh, take your company forward, you can actually have a, have a genuine, proper, you know, work-life balance and see some greenery and mm. go and do amazing things. Only 45 minutes from London if you haven't got what you need in Cambridge for your social life. I think that the volume of new spaces you said that's coming forward is definitely increasing and the quality is great to see. And I think from our perspective, we don't see Cambridge necessarily slowing down in terms of its growth prospects. There are still a lot of existing companies that are in growth mode, new companies wanting to find space here. It's hopefully it's that infrastructure piece, whether it's the real estate or the transport that catches up with it so that we can continue to satisfy these companies. And you mentioned references to places like Boston, Mass, San Diego. It's also important perhaps just to zoom out and think about Cambridge on the global stage because these companies, when they're looking for sites to grow they are i think increasingly thinking global so how can cambridge make sure that it continues to be competitive at an international stage as well as within the regional perspective yeah internationally it has to be competitive and when i'm having any sort of analytical discussions with national government or with local government there's a real understanding that actually if an international investing company is say looking for its european headquarters it'll be Cambridge it, it, and it may be Oxford and it may be Edinburgh perhaps but actually it's equally likely to be Singapore or or wherever else it might be so we have to stay competitive I mean on, on price we still are I believe even if you compare with mm-hmm. with the US I'm certainly less expensive but it's hard for me as an ex-diplomat selling the UK I hate to sound like I'm competitive <laughs> with other cities because when I think about my life sciences experience you know, I know, and anybody working in life sciences knows that that actually it's all about collaborations and partnerships. So, so, so a company that's based in Cambridge, the CEO will always be thinking. Actually, you know, what's really important for me is I need to be able to get on a plane, ideally from Stansted to, to Boston, and I've done some work on that with Stansted Airport leadership team because I need to go and see my investors and I need to go and see the people that I'm working with to develop my talent pipeline and my drug pipeline because very few companies have got the ability to take, as we know, a drug from start to, yeah. to finish, even huge companies. So I, with Cambridge and, I, I don't do a big hard sell on Cambridge because the facts speak for themselves to, to an extent. That doesn't mean I'm complacent. But what I do a lot of is spend time working with other nations around the world. So a lot of time recently with the equivalent to Cambridge and in Singapore and with say with people in Boston and Masbio and others uh, to look at where we can actually you know um, collaborate yeah I think that's really important and the companies that we're speaking to are also looking for looking for the same because they want to have that shared learning and benefit of particularly when they're in growth mode perhaps coming out of the UK and looking to get into the US market it's how can they benefit from the skills and expertise that are in more mature market like the states to help benefit that that growth story and one of the things I was going to ask you about we've We've just been talking about companies within the UK growing and then perhaps going stateside. But are you energised and excited by the fact that there are some of the bigger companies that are from the States actually coming back into the UK to grow their footprint as well? Well, I mean, that's Cambridge Ann's job. So so I am energised by it, but I, but I have to be as well. <laughs> that's big. So, so Cambridge Ann's um, role is all about, it's razor sharp focus, Chris, on handholding companies to come into Cambridge from around the world. So what it's not, it's not about attracting investment from other parts of the UK. 
actually that personally wouldn't sit that comfortably for me on a, just on a personal level uh, that sort of proactive you know stealing <laughs> just just it just it's not how Cambridge Island operates and, and it's not how I operate um, so our, our role is absolutely to uh, handhold large companies that are seeking to come here and I've got three different ways of doing that so I have a, a, a target list of 81 global firms across life sciences and healthcare, technology and advanced manufacturing. And I work with people in the ecosystem at senior level who know these companies already. Some of them I'll have the conversations with if it's life sciences because I've been doing it for 20 years. Uh, But others, it's not appropriate for me to start trying to talk about quantum because what I know about quantum, you could write on the back of a stamp. But I know the right people that are in the ecosystem who know these companies well that can have those conversations to say, actually, have you thought about Cambridge for this part of your business structure, about the acceleration of your strategy in this in this situation? So I've got my 81 target companies. And you know it's a real number because it's 81. <laughs> Somebody said to me yeah. the other day, well, that's a genuine list then. I was like, yes, it, yes, it is. <laughs> the other, but I mentioned earlier about unicorns of the future. So we incorporated just before lockdown. So this idea of a red, VIP red carpet visit programme that I would put together for a company went out the window because nobody could see anybody. So I created a digital strategy. And a number of leading entrepreneurs in Cambridge said to me, what you could really usefully do, Harriet, as Cambridge and is identify companies around the world that are, that might be quite small, mm-hmm. but that are scaling quickly, that are in areas where Cambridge genuinely is world class. Because no city can be brilliant at absolutely everything. Let's be really clear about, particularly in life sciences at the time, uh, the, the people I was talking to, where are we genuinely world class? And let's do some primary and secondary research on unicorns of the future around the world. And so I'm not a scientist and I've never pretended to be. And so I got the best minds out of the university, PhDs and postdocs, doing a a degree in uh, biotechnology. And for the last three years, I've sat down with them and they've done big projects. So the first was in genomics, for obvious reasons. Second was in gene and cell therapy. And we've just, or they've just finished one in uh, data analytics in healthcare and so I've got a fantastic list of 100 companies against their criteria so I'm not doing the work for you you, you know they say what's your criteria Harry I was like you decide what the criteria are what good growth will yeah. look like for Cambridge because this this is really focused inward investment it's not anyone feel free to come here this is what is genuinely going to be the best type of company for the company's sake and for Cambridge's sake, and for the country's sake, and for the world's sake, in addressing global challenges. And that's not cheesy, that's genuinely, mm-hmm. you know, who are going to be the best because Cambridge is busy and it is noisy. And if we just had growth for growth's sake, it would just become to- even more topsy turvy than it's sometimes accused of being. So that's really exciting. And it means that it could be relatively small companies that are growing fast, but they're going to be additive to the world's issues by working with Cambridge-based companies. And then the third area is that I work with the Mayoral Combined Authority uh, when they have large inward investment interests for Cambridge um, because that's the formal mechanism for central government uh, talking to Cambridge. So I work with an organisation called GrowthWorks on that where, where they want me to. And in terms of that company engagement um, through your career, have you seen the dynamic or how you would define those different subsectors that make up the Cambridge cluster change quite substantially oh yeah very much and yes yeah, so it's 20 years this year since I first came to Cambridge uh, I was running a, a national government biotechnology team uh, but out of Cambridge interestingly so it was a Whitehall department but it was based in Cambridge 
uh, because that was it was felt that was the right place for it to be at the time, but still with a national focus. And back then, I mean, goodness, 2003, there was a lot less convergence than there is now. So I would say the key, the key difference now is, and this is why we've just done the data analytics in healthcare deep dive, because uh, it was actually, it was much more linear. Biotech was much more linear back in 2003, and you know, companies. I'm not saying they were tunnel vision, but there's always been collaboration of course with life science companies but but the use of technology and AI and everything in between to inform drug development and processes and human behavior or whatever it might be has become really compelling and when you look at Cambridge we can genuinely say that it's world-class in certain parts of life sciences and it's growing at eight percent a year to your point earlier about growth and that's been for the last six years during lockdown tech and life sciences perhaps unsurprisingly continue to grow at the same levels that they had previously. Tech was growing about 6% per annum. And so if you look at the life sciences and healthcare sector, and then you look at the world-class tech sector, and that Venn diagram and where they converge, that's the really one of the really sweet spots for Cambridge. And that's what I've seen a lot more of in recent years, because of course, over a 20 year period, you're bound to see technology changing, you know, in an incredible way. And I think we've seen that probably reflected in the type of space that the real estate developer and investor community are building, where you've historically had the North Cambridge cluster perhaps be more tech focused compared to the South. But there's certainly some of the development pipeline that's looking to come forward is targeting more biotech companies that need traditional wet lab space, be that biology or, or chemistry. So the convergence, I think, is overspilling, if you will, into what the real estate community are building. But you mentioned a couple of schemes earlier in the podcast around actually some of these existing science parks do have really clear differentiators, not USPs, in terms of what they do. And so do you think that as Cambridge continues to involve, yes, we're seeing this convergence between science and tech companies coming together, they might need different types of space within one building, but actually in some of those locations where they've already got a defined um, differentiator over the competition that perhaps become a bit more polarized as more specialist companies continue to go to that location rather than split themselves up yeah and that's a really interesting question because that's sort of crystal ball isn't it <laughs> so yeah it, it, it's hard to say i would say the dynamic at the moment that i'm seeing because i can only really work on fact and what i'm seeing at the moment is that uh companies I mean, it's a really good example a company uh that's uh, working in R&D in psychotropic drugs. They came to me back end of the year before last and there were a number of opportunities for them. They, they wanted to start out quite, it's glo their global headquarters was moving from Uruguay um, and they wanted to be in Cambridge. But actually when it boiled down to it, I gave them lots of different options for relatively small space at the time. But ultimately, they still wanted to be really close to Addenbrooke. They still wanted to be really close to um, patient data and the three hospitals and so on and so on. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how it works. But I still think human nature, and this is my personal take on things, I still think human nature because humans ultimately decide where they're going to go, whether they're you know, chief execs or whoever they might be, will always want to go to the safest place for their investment. And so I would suggest, ex-diplomat here, <laughs> that it's likely that those, those parks and, and, and centres of excellence will continue to see huge demand from companies that are already working in that space. Yeah, and perhaps just um, you mentioned diplomats. Perhaps we'll take a slight turn and go towards sort of policy because there's been a fair bit going on just before we sort of 
came live as such. Uh, we're talking about some of the things that have been in the press over the past two months, particularly as we were hearing and seeing views from industry before what was the spring the spring budget, but quite a bit in there. I mean, if you if you look through you know and um, search innovation or search life science and tech, then it, it naturally comes up quite a bit. So it's great to see from a advisory perspective that we've got a government that is continuing to to commit and think about bringing forward investment. The question that I I had for you was, we've definitely seen a clear push around the levelling up agenda. Cambridge, as we've talked about in the context of, of Oxford, uh, London, wider southeast of the region, continues to see a lot of activity. Do you think that there is enough, really, I suppose, being done from a government perspective to make sure we promote that southeast region and it's not solely focused on the levelling up? Piece. Yeah, this is something I feel quite passionately about because it fits into both my roles with Cambridge Ahead and with, with Cambridge And. And I think the key point about the levelling up agenda, a number of ministers have been through Cambridge and, and, and actually from Amanda Soloway through to George Freeman and others, they've always said levelling up for, 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 for deprived and areas of the UK that need further investment does not mean levelling down for places like Cambridge. And I genuinely believe that's 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 true and that's that's the intent so i think in terms of leveling up what what we need to come back to just to come back to the facts is that cambridge is one of only 13 cities one three cities in the uk that gives back to the uk economy it's about 1.3 billion a year so if you need no other business case than that mm-hmm. you know that the, the central government needs to continue to spend time and energy and money on R&D and uh, innovation in places like, in Cambridge and in places like Cambridge, because they do genuinely give back to the UK economy. And of course there's disparity, but there's also disparity in Cambridge, which is something that we look at a lot in in Cambridge ahead. And a number of the members are really, all the members are really interested in, in trying to, 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 to lessen that disparity of the haves and the, and the have-nots. Uh, but in terms of what the government's doing, I remember when I worked in government, um, I was actually more critical <laughs> than I am now because there, there is only so big a cake and there are only so many slices that can come out of that cake. And uh, again, it's a personal view, is that the, the government of the time uh, and the, the Prime Minister and, and people like George Freeman uh, are actually doing their level best to, to have innovation and science and technology centre stage and on the world stage. And we see that, of course, with the creation of the new government department for science and innovation yep, and technology. Well to have, you know, I know a bit about this stuff, to have a, a place at Cabinet is is supremely important and shouldn't be underestimated. But there's there's still, you know, some, some proof to be maybe like you know it's a new it's a new department well let's see no, I, I think it's i mean from all the people that we're speaking to i think it's great that that has happened because i think it was being called for a, for for a long time and also from the various different membership organizations that we're involved with some of the announcements that were perhaps made at the end of last year particularly the r&d tax credits yes. piece <laughs> for smes which i think landed quite heavily and got a very strong industry reaction both publicly and privately was great to see that they'd essentially reverse that in the in the announcement this week in terms of supporting those companies so i'm sure that's landed well with the companies you were talking to oh absolutely absolutely and and thank goodness for the whole time i've been working in innovation one of the 
one of the policy positions that's been lauded by anybody I've ever met back when I was in, in the Foreign Office as well and running the National Life Sciences team when I'd go and brief uh, the, the Swedes, for example, on, on how um, government... It, we, we launched the... we. George Freeman, when he was the Life Sciences Minister, launched the National Life Sciences Strategy with Sir John Bell, as you remember, back in the day. Yeah. And when and I was an ambassador for uh, Number 10 at the time, it, as, as a sort of sideline to the day job. And so the, that meant that I, what I'd agreed to do was promote UK life sciences and internationally when I was going about my daily work. Mm-hmm. It was when I was at um, One Nucleus. And so one of those roles I remember was going to Bio Europe, which is on at the moment, of course. So it was yeah. this time back in 2016, I think, in Stockholm. And I briefed a huge room of people about the life sciences strategies. Uh, AstraZeneca and um, Swedish government people and they were so taken with it that they went off and almost sort of did a blueprint of it and created their own uh, life sciences minister and so on and so on and so amazing uh, so, so, so so you know what we're doing is being looked at by by other government um, departments but just in terms of of how uh, the government um, acts and reacts I genuinely think that it actually couldn't couldn't be doing any more than it is at the current time and and that reversal that ability to say actually I'm not sure they just say we got it wrong but the to be able to reverse it yeah you know, th- that's one of the things that all the time I was hearing you know the, the R&D tax credit situation in in the UK is is so important mm-hmm. and it also if you look at the, the obviously the very latest issue with uh, Silicon Valley Bank you know the the the, the, the pressure that was put on and the ability for the sector to come together, whether it's under the auspices of the BIA or you know with a whole range of others or whoever it might be, you know, innovation is taken very seriously in this country by government. And you mentioned Sil- Silicon Valley Bank. Mm. I was going to raise that. Mm. Um, in- intrigued to see whether that's had any impact um, or significant impact. I'm sure it's had an impact, but a significant impact in terms of companies that you may be engaging with who are looking to come into the UK. Yeah, I mean, it'll be, you know, only time will tell, won't yeah. it? But I think the fact that it was dealt with swiftly and very economically is <laughs> probably not the right word, but you know what I mean. It, it, it didn't drag on. Yeah. The purchase of it did not drag on and it ruined a number of people's weekends, I'm sure. But actually, what it's done for, for the UK economy uh, has to be lauded, I think. Yeah, it's, I think time will tell is probably a good way of, of explaining it because we've naturally we've discussed it a lot internally and there's been as you'd expect, a substantial impact in the States, but we're we're monitoring it, really. There's still, I think when you look at um, the Cambridge market generally, we're still seeing a lot of growth from companies, particularly in the in the fields of science and technology, looking for space. So um, all of these things where, as you said, we are reacting to perhaps what industry is looking for around R&D tax credits or making a more favourable environment for companies, larger companies in particular, to come here is is all heading in the right direction. Um, and generally, just to close us out, um, Harriet, I assume you have a very positive outlook for what um, could be in store for Cambridge as a cluster as it continues to grow. I do, and that, and again, Chris, that's just based on facts. That's not my supposition. <laughs> if you look at uh, if you look at the last six years, as I say, the life sciences and healthcare sector has grown at eight percent every year, and I don't see that changing anytime soon great way to finish well thank you so much for your time you're very welcome thank you for having me no problem